We've been, of course, spending the last several weeks going through the, the story uh, of Jesus. And we, and we first heard there was a lot of talking, a lot of speech. There was the angel who came and spoke to Elizabeth, and he spoke to Mary. Uh, and then Mary went to visit Elizabeth, and Elizabeth spoke and responded, and Mary sang her Magnificat. And then on the actual day that changed history, we saw last week as Jesus was born, the birth was, itself was actually obscure. It was pretty anticlimactic, pretty matter-of-fact. There was no speaking. It was all just narrative. This happened, this happened, this happened, and the baby was born. This morning, as we come into the passage just following the, the birth, we have what we call, historically it's been called the Annunciation because it's the announcing that the birth had happened and the interpretation of what happened by the, by the uh, angels. So we're going to read uh, in chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. I'm actually going to, it's not on the slide, but I'm going to begin reading with verse 7, uh, the verse before, just to remind us what just happened. So, hear the Lord from Luke chapter 2. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, don't fear or fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who's Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You've heard from the Lord. Let's ask him to help us to know how to understand this and use it in our lives. Our Father, we thank you not only that you sent your son into the world, not only that he was born, not only that that was recorded, but then you followed it up with, with interpretation. You sent messengers, your, your angels, to uh, declare what had happened, who this was. Uh, so, Father, 
we, we pray that you'll give us ears to hear uh, what you've said, what they are, and eyes to see how, how to respond, uh, even as the shepherds did. And so we give ourselves to you and ask you to have your way with us. And we pray this uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, we mentioned how as this all unfolded on that, that first birth, the fact is Mary and Joseph didn't arrive in Bethlehem breathless and with her having contractions and deep labor uh, and desperate to find a La Quinta in to stay in, uh, but to no avail, leaving them having to hole up in some barn someplace. Uh, that, that's kind of more a tradition that's developed since then because of poems and songs and need, needing to create a good plot for movies and TV shows. But, but actually what, what happened was that being Bethlehem, which is where Joseph's family was from, that's why they went to Bethlehem, because that's where his people were, that when they got to Bethlehem, they would have people they knew. There would have been family there that would have brought them in. And Bethlehem, besides that, is just a little tiny village, and so they wouldn't have had an inn, uh, per se. Plus, in the Middle East, people are remarkably hospitable. And if a couple showed up, that were getting ready to have a baby, they would have been welcomed in and brought in. And so the, when it refers to there being no room at the inn, it's really that, that there would have been no room in the guest room of the house. The way we talked about how the houses back then would have had the one large multi-purpose room that was for sleeping during the night, and then they would roll up the mats, and they'd put everything out for the cooking, and they would do the living all in that room, and there would be an additional room, usually on the back of the house, for guests to stay in, and that's the room that would have been full. So it meant that Mary and Joseph would have stayed in the great room with the rest of the family and the animals, because the animals got brought in at night. Unless you were really wealthy, you didn't have a barn or a stable. They didn't have barns. They, 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 the animals were brought into the house so they wouldn't be stolen, for one thing, and so that they'd be able to keep warm uh, when it was cold at night. Uh, and so we also get a little clue in, to, in today's passage, though, that further confirms this understanding of, of what happened. If you look in verse 20, it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And when it says that they were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, all would have included, of course, what the angel said that was verified by what they'd seen. Uh, but, but it also would have included what they saw with, with Mary and Joseph. In other words, I, I mean, think about it. Again, this is a, a very hospitable culture. If the shepherds showed up and they found Mary and Joseph and, and this baby who the shepherds knew to be the Messiah, and if they found him in some shack of a shed, do you think they would have left praising God and glorifying God because everything was so great? They would have said, no, they would have said, wait a minute, this isn't right. You, you need to be taken care of. I don't have much of a house, but at least come to my house. My wife will take care of you, right? They would not have been praising God if they didn't know that they were being well cared for. In fact, even as, as I was reading through this a moment ago, it also occurred to me that it said uh, when the, the shepherds made known the saying that had been told them, it said, and all who heard it 
wonder to what the shepherds told them, which tells you all who heard it was more than just Mary and Joseph. So in other words, Mary and Joseph were well cared for. There was great hospitality. This was a household, a family full of people uh, that they were there. And they were, it's, it's not the picture that we often uh, have in mind. You, you can order some new little characters for your nativity scene if you want to add them in there for, <laughs> for the family. But, um, the, but, but you can see how the, it's a, the conclusion we can make is that Mary and Joseph were taken care of. What, what I want to do with you this morning as we look at this passage and think about what this tells us is really from two angles. One is uh, the angels, the angelic announcement, and then secondly, the, the shepherds, uh, and they're seeking verification of what they just heard. So first of all, the, the announcement. The first thing we see in verse 9 is that an angel appears. Okay. Now, the word angel just means messenger. Anholos in uh, Greek is messenger. And so he, he comes, and, but notice it says he produces great fear. And a messenger of the Lord appeared to them, and the great glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now remember, when the angel, we, we didn't read the passage about the angel going to Je Zechariah, but when he went to Zechariah and also when he went to Mary, Mary had fear, but the fear wasn't because of the angel, because he looked like this strange, what we could think of as angelic beings, but it's because of what he told her. He said the, the, news he, the news was what jolted her. Here, again, it doesn't say that the angel scared him. What does it say? It says the glory of the Lord shone around this messenger. See, the, the, the glory of the Lord is that which was confined to inside the temple, in the Holy of Holies. The glory of the Lord was vibrant. Remember when Israel was traveling through the desert? And they would always follow what? The pillar of fire. That's the glory of the Lord. The Lord is so bright, so shining. He is light in whom there's no darkness that he had to cover it up with clouds because it was more than the people could handle. Remember when later on when Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he was transfigured, when he was surrounded by his glory, what happened to John and Peter? Not Andrew, Peter, John, and James. Uh, they fell on their faces as though dead because the glory of the Lord was so bright. So what, what filled the, the great fear that came into these Shepherds, and it's, it's megaphobos, or the Greek words, megaphobos, great fear. What gave them the great fear was the fact that they, they had seen the glory of the Lord, and they didn't know what to do with that. But then the, and, and what, just a little takeaway from that. Does your God, do you, does your understanding of who God is include that? That God is fearsome? That if God were to show up before you with, uh, surrounded by his glory, that you, like every single other character throughout the course of the Bible, would be falling on your face before him? That when you see God the way that he is, what you need to hear is what the angels next say to the shepherds, don't fear. Because the initial movement of your heart would be to fear. Because you realize who it is you're dealing with and, and how, how holy he is. Now that, that's a picture of the, of the, of the real God, uh, that, that we, want, we want our God to correspond with the real God. And of course, then, the, they, again, the angel said to them, he says, don't fear. But why does he say don't fear? He said, don't fear for what? I bring you 
good news of great joy. That was the reason. It wasn't because, don't fear because you guys aren't sinful, because they were sinful, they were shepherds. Don't fear because the glory of God isn't really that holy, because it is that holy. He said, don't fear, because I'm not coming to you with bad news. I'm coming to you with good news of great joy for all, for everybody. So it's this good news. And and see, the Christian God has both fear that he produces in us, but the good news of great joy that accompanies it, that you find, of course, through his son, Jesus. And then what was the news? Here's the news. Verse 11 says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. The good, you know, remember the good word good news is also the gospel. They're bringing this, they're preaching the gospel. This is the first preaching of the gospel in, in the gospel. And they call him three things. They say he's the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, and the Lord. It's the only time in the New Testament those three words are tied together. That you, you see them back to back to back. That the Savior, it's the, when, when, when Israel would hear that, they, they think of God the Deliverer who brought them out of Egypt. Who, who saved them from their slavery uh, to, to the Egyptians and brought them into the freedom, into their promised land. And they, they hear Messiah. There's the mighty power of the Savior. They hear Messiah. And the Messiah, the Christ, Christ, you know, most of you all know, Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. So it's the same thing. The, the, the Messiah is the anointed one of God. And it always indicated the king. The king was the Messiah. And so... The, they're th- they're, so they've got the mighty power of the Savior, the Deliverer, the King who has stature and, and presence and authority. And then the word Lord, I mean, think about it. We've heard about the angel of the Lord. We've heard about the glory of the Lord. And all of a sudden now it says this baby is the Lord. So he's, he, they're interpreting for you, who this baby is. He's the Savior with this mighty power. He's the Messiah who's going to rule as a king, and he's the Lord because he's God. Now, this is good news for the shepherds and everybody, but you got to realize it also would have been pretty scary news for the shepherds because of their station in life. You've heard it before. They're, uh, they, were, they were considered unclean because they, they were never in church because they worked all the time. They were, in, in that society, shepherds, although there's a positive view of shepherds from David and the uh, 23rd Psalm, etc. The, the view of shepherds within the socioeconomic standing in there was basically kind of like carnies, like carnival workers, that they were the lower end of blue collar and they were working all the time and they were dirty and grimy because they were always out in the fields with the sheep. They don't smell nice, even though they look pretty. That they, they, they would have been unacceptable. And if, and if they showed up, they've just been told that this baby is what? Is the Messiah. Is going to be the king. And so what goes to their mind? Well, where are kings born? Kings are born in palaces and governor's mansions. And if we show up as shepherds, we're going to stick out like a sore thumb. So how, how do we ever gain access to that? And so the angel... Tells him. And that's why in verse 12, when he says, This will be a sign for you, 
you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. First of all, it's a sign that would give them veracity that what they said, what the angels just told them is true. They're not just having a hallucination, okay? They didn't just eat some funky food at night that's kind of giving them indigestion and they're having visions, but they really encountered this because they're going to find a baby lying in a manger because you don't find babies put in mangers. They did wrap them in swaddling cloths. We talked about that last week. That was normal. That was, that was part of the custom of that day, but not in a manger. But not only that, the reason he told, the other part, the reason he said it's in a manger is because when the shepherds heard in a manger, they would have relaxed because they realized the Messiah born in a palace would not be put in a manger. Right? It'd be in a royal crib. If, if the baby's being put in a manger, these must be common people. They must be peasants like us. We can go. We're safe there. We'll have entree. They'll, they'll let us in. They'll, they'll talk to us. And so he, he was settling the shepherd's hearts, and so they, they made their way. Now, so it starts with this one shepherd coming to the shepherd, or this one angel, rather, coming to the shepherds, telling them what's going to happen, re restoring them with don't fear, giving them a sign that's going to give the veracity for what they're going to do, and then also comforting their hearts. And then all of a sudden, a whole host, notice it says, verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Now, notice it says a multitude of the heavenly host. It doesn't say a whole bunch of angels, but part of it is because the angel was the messenger. These were probably similar some kind of angelic spiritual beings. It's never really defined or described or distinguished for us. We hear about cherubim. We hear about seraphim. We hear, we've heard about Gabriel, the messenger. We don't know if this was Gabriel or if it was another messenger. Uh, but the heavenly host just means these are spiritual heavenly beings, and there's a multitude, which means they're just filling the sky, but they weren't coming to speak to the shepherds. They were coming to why? What does it say they were doing? Praising God, praising God. And here's how they praise God. The first thing they said was, glory to God in the highest. Notice, it doesn't say there's fear this time. There's no fear from the shepherds. Why? Because they've gotten the good news, and the good news drowns out. Well, I mean, you know, if it goes to a heavenly, you got one angel and the glory of God around them, and all of a sudden you have a multitude of angels. I mean, nobody in this room has seen a multitude of angels, right? How much more, and, we, and we've got, you know, you can see, you know, you got all the Star Wars movies. You can see anything on TV that'll, that'll kind of blow your minds. They didn't have anything like that. You would think this would, would just, you know, freak them out to have this multitude of angels. They're not afraid. Why? Because the good news has so outweighed the, what it is to see the skies filled. And, and they hear them say, glory to God in the highest. In other words, God is being praised across the, the highest realms in heaven for what he's done. J.C. Ryle says, you know, the, the, the heavenly host, the angels, they've never sinned. He said that they, they had no need of a redeemer or for atoning blood, and yet they're praising God. They're deeply interested in the redemption of mankind and of the world. You know, and if, I mean, later on, Peter would write in his letter that, angels longed to 
to peer into these things that are, that are truths that we have before us. And if the angels who have no personal interest in redemption are moved to praise God, give him glory for that, how, how much more <laughs> for us? We do have an interest. It means everything for us, right? But they also said, like we talked about with the children, peace on earth. Now, if, if you remember back to the beginning of last week, and of course, if you watched Peanuts, you know, because Linus reads this, in those de- decrees, in those days, it said what? A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The calendar, the, some of Caesar Augustus's uh, senators uh, wanted the first day of the year to be Caesar's birthday because he had brought the Pax Romana. He had brought peace to the Roman Empire. He was known as the Prince of Peace. That's how this chapter began. The announcement from the angels are telling you, on earth, peace, the real peace bringer, is this little baby. I mean, do you expect it to come through a mighty emperor who had actually made it happen culturally? Or a little baby? Well, guess what? The cultural peace, it lasted through the spread of the gospel across the Roman Empire, but it ended. Whereas his peace would never end. And, it, and it's, but it's not just peace in general or peace to everybody. What does it say? It says, peace among those with whom he is pleased or favored or delighted. Who does he love? How do you know? You, 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 you know you're favored if you're attached to the baby. Remember the, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and he said, greetings, O favored one. And that was, that was what gave her great fear. She was favored because she was attached to the baby. Mary was favored because her son was going to die for her sins. That's the only reason Mary was favored. Just like you and me. The only reason you can be favored by God is that you're attached to Jesus. And he's the one who, when you stand before God, you say, I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm with him. He's my hope. He's my entree. He's my righteousness. He's, he's, my, he's my ticket. He's my truth. And that's the, that's the hope that was given to him. So we've got this message from the angels, this announcement that he's the Savior and the Messiah and that he's the Lord. And then the shepherds, what do they do with it? Well, the shepherds seek verification. They've got this message. They've heard what was said. And they want to go check it out. And so in verses 15 through 17, it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told to them concerning this child. Now again, just like you wouldn't expect this baby to be born where he was, you know, if, if there's an announcement of the birth of the Messiah, you, the one who's going to deliver his, his people, Israel, you, you'd expect him to go to the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. I promise you, that's what the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees thought. They thought when this Messiah's coming, they're going to come tell us which is part of why they had a chip on their shoulder against Jesus the whole time that he was here, because they, they heard it secondhand. But rather, the, 
shepherds. This announcement is made to these, these common people, this, this, this lower class group. And, you know, God makes promises all throughout the Bible. This shouldn't be a surprise that he gives favor and mercy to those who, who are in positions of weakness. Okay. God's ways have always been in, in contrast to the ways of the world, which exalts people and power or, or fame. Oh, I mean, the, one of the verses that always sticks with me is in Isaiah 55, which says, God's ways are not our ways. He, he cuts against the grain. If it bothers you how God does things sometimes, that ought to give you comfort because you say, good, God's bigger and smarter than me. He doesn't do things my way. I ought to expect God to cut against my grain, right? And yours too, all of our grains. But the, you know, the, 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 the way the world's always, always operated, back then they expected kings and military leaders and wealthy people they were the ones who had God's favor. Today, we look at what? Celebrities and people in power and athletes. It's, but, but we still look at a certain class of people as, as the ones who, uh, who really have power. But God is partial to the powerless, people without resources. Yeah. So what that, here, here's, here's what that means. If, if you feel like your resources are low, and that could mean, you know, we tend to think of materially. That could be material, but it might be that you just have, your emotional resources are pretty tapped out. Uh, your, your spiritual resources, your, your political resources, uh, you don't have much. You don't have much ground to stand on, or your social position, you don't have much to stand on. You might feel like your second class before God because uh, you, you're not in a position of power or prosperity. You know, you're just getting by financially or you're buried with responsibilities because of work or taking care of children. And your, your time resources are, are, are slim. The, or maybe you grew up in a family that, where you didn't have spiritual resources. So you don't have a legacy to draw upon of, of knowing this is all kind of brand new to you and you're just figuring it out. God promises attention and care and favor and delight to those who are powerless, those who are resourceless. The, I mean, you know, to be honest, that's what always has kept me in the game as a pastor. And it would be no different for, for you is knowing it's not because of what I bring to the table that God could use me. I mean, God spoke through Balaam's jackass. So, you know, I, he can work with me, right? And you too. I mean, God works against the grain. He can use anybody. You're, you're not disqualified. I have people all the time, almost every time we're going to have a missions trip, somebody will say, I'm kind of thinking about it, but I just don't think I'm up to it. And my guaranteed response is, you're qualified. Because it's not because you're up to it. It's because he's up to it. And if you start thinking you're up to it, then we need to have a talk. <laughs> then there's probably some issues going on. That God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if you notice here, he, not here, the, in, in, this, in the passage, he, he talks about uh, coming to, to those who, Turn to him. It's, it's not just everybody. It's turning specifically 
to him and looking to him. The promises aren't to the oppressed in general or to the poor in general or to the imprisoned in general. It's to those who, in their difficulties, look to him and turn to him. Because he wants, he, he, he's giving you actual events, showing you something out of the ordinary with this baby. With the, I mean, notice, there's not a lot of talking in this part, is there? It's, they went, they saw, they believed, and they told them about it, but we're not told what the words are. Again, because he wants you to see these are the facts. These are the facts, because truth and facts is what faith is built on. Faith isn't some nebulous kind of thing. Faith is built on truth and facts. In fact, the reason I think God does did it this way, the reason God snuck in the back door discreetly, you know, you'd think, why wouldn't God just be real public about sending his son? Even if he came into a poor family, you'd think he'd make a, put a lot of pomp and pageantry about it so that he'd be recognized because if everybody saw it, all Israel was waiting for the Messiah. And if they knew that he was there, they would just be on the bandwagon. They would rejoice. They'd be all on board. Wouldn't that be a lot easier? I mean, that's later on, Jesus himself. He fed 5,000 people, and they were like, food. I mean, it's just like presidential candidates. We'll give you everything for free. You know, everybody responded. They wanted to make him king. And you know, the disciples were thinking, okay, now, now this thing's rolling. Now we're happening. And what did Jesus do? He turned around, and he ran them off. He had 5,012, and then he had 12. And he said, aren't you guys leaving too? Why? Because Jesus... The reason God does this and what Jesus was looking for there is that Christianity is about faith. It's about faith. And again, faith isn't fuzzy. Sometimes faith just means your religion or sometimes people think faith means it's, it's just real indistinct. Faith is, is built on fact and it's built on trusting truth. It's always connected to, to, to truth. But You can see why they trusted in him. He delivered. He came to the, the angel said, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger. They came in. What did they find? A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And that's why they told him what they'd heard. The shepherds wanted verification, and they found exactly what they were looking for, and it tells them that the messenger gave them specific facts came through it doesn't take a lot of faith to join a winner right I mean if you see somebody whose star is rising and you get on the bandwagon you know you're going to get behind them just like they did with Jesus later on and so the way God does this seems totally backwards I mean we like people who start in poverty right but they, they, they overcome it you know, we like people who, who, who start off with no glitz or, or pizzazz. That, you know, Abe Lincoln, you know, reading by the fire because they didn't, you know, they didn't have anything. They didn't have electricity yet. But, you know, but, but he's, you know he was poor. He was in a log cabin. He grew up. He was born in Kentucky and, you know, tried to upgrade moving to Illinois, but didn't help. You know, he, he, barely, he won in spite of himself. But he, but he rose to the top. Deion Sanders, listened to him the other day, a top cornerback ever, and he talked about just thinking back, growing up in an apartment in the projects. You know, Dolly Parton in a poor, poor 
Appalachian mountain town, one of like 10, 12 children. We, 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 people who, who start with poverty and make something of themselves, we, we like people that. But why would you follow a guy who seemingly never rose above the poverty he started with? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then he was killed by his enemies, betrayed by, by one of his closest followers. I mean, seemingly a loser. Why, why, would, you, why would you follow him? Why would you have faith in, in him? It's, it's because of faith, because the baby Jesus is different. You know, he, he became a shepherd. He, he, was, he was the good shepherd because he's willing to suffer and die for his sheep. But there's more than that. You know, wolves aren't interested in shepherds, right? They're interested in devouring sheep. And that's, that's the miracle of Christmas, is that this good shepherd, Jesus, he became a lamb for the slaughter. He, he, he went to the wolves for us. He, Jesus suffers fools, but more than that, he suffers for them. And these shepherds, these shepherds would have been right outside of Bethlehem when they were shepherding the sheep. And here's how you know that. Because remember, they were told, in the city of David, you're going to find this baby. And we mentioned this last week. You read throughout the Bible and you look for the city of David, what do you find? Jerusalem. It's always Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the city of David. Unless you're from Bethlehem. If you're from Bethlehem, you know where David's people are from. You know where David's daddy lived. He was from Bethlehem. Jesse was from Bethlehem. And so if you lived in Bethlehem, the city of David, yeah, it's Jerusalem, but we know it's really Bethlehem. And so when these shepherds, they heard the angels say what? The city of David. The shepherds went to Bethlehem because they were local guys. And they knew Bethlehem would be the city of David. Some scholars speculate that these shepherds might actually have been tending lambs who were being prepared to go be sacrifices eight miles away in Jerusalem at the temple. Being raised for the, for the day of slaughter, for the daily sacrifices. And this baby they were going to see would actually be the Lamb of God who would be slain to end the sacrifices once and for all. He'd be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. That's why Paul Tripp tweeted that for Jesus, Christmas was all about a tree and not the kind that you decorate in your family. The tree is the cross. Jesus was born to be a shepherd who would be the lamb of God and die for us. And so this interpretation we have about what happened, it it informs us that, first of all, just like the angels, it's interesting, the angels, they did what? They were glorifying and praising God. What does it say the shepherds did when they left? They were glorifying and praising God for all they had done. That Luke is telling us that there should be an emotive impact on your heart, a response, that you're, you're moved, that your, your affections are, are gripped because the, the majesty and the greatness and the kindness and the mercy of, of God, who, who's your master, that the devotion of your heart is, is because he, he's, he's owned your heart because of what he's done for you. That it, there's this profound fear and a profound joy simultaneously. And then secondly, 
the angel came and proclaimed the good news to the shepherds. And what happened when the shepherds came? They came and they proclaimed the good news of what they had heard as well. And that we're like them. If you've seen the baby, if you've heard this, that, that we become messengers. That if you've heard the news, if you've checked it out to be true. I mean, remember, remember how Mary, when the angel came to Mary and told her that she was going to have this baby, it says, with haste, she went up to see her cousin Elizabeth. These shepherds, when the angel came to them, they, with haste, went into Bethlehem to, to find out what happened. You've gone to see that it's true, and if so, who are you telling? The, the commitment of our leadership here at New Covenant is that we're a church who loves our community and, and our neighborhood in this way by telling people. So if, the whole point of this is that if you're, if you're like the shepherds, if you're like the angels, Christmas can never leave you the same. And that's what we want to walk away with in these coming days. So let's pray and ask God to help us with that. Father, we're, we're not just here to be stirred with a, with a, a warm, happy story. We're, we're here to be captured and owned by you, the God of the universe, who through facts, through history, through actual events, through words promised, and then words, actions that came through on what you'd promised, showed yourself to be saving the world. You sent the Savior and the Messiah and the Lord all wrapped up into this baby who became a man who lived in our place and died in our place, and who now you've raised up, and he's ruling at your right hand. Cause us to be open-mouthed and open-hearted about you and before you for this. Have your way with us. Cause our Christmas to resonate with, with your love, with your message, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.